7.44. So the, the family and school tours, the honeymoons, the luxury hotels, Jeju Islands, very rosy outlook today. It actually hides a brutal past that's often been kept in the dark. 70 years ago, with the April 3rd uprising, the island saw bloodshed as it was scapegoated by the country's post-colonial government amid fierce ideological confrontations. Bloodshed that claimed thousands of lives, as many as 10% of the population. In the poem Hallasan, the Korean poet Isan Ha described the brutality of the massacre that decimated the island's population as Auschwitz without a gas chamber. Let's bring in Kayun. Beck, International Team Manager of the Memorial Committee for the 70th anniversary of the Jeju April 3rd Uprising and Massacre, co-founder of Jeju Dark Tours. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Well, good. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure to have you on the line. Um, so, in, in the post-liberation period between um, gaining independence from Japanese rule in 1945 and the start of the Korean War in 1950... Mm-hmm. It's often referred to as the U.S. military government period in in here in this country. Um, it, it really is a distorted era in our history books, uh, or at least it's not an era that universally can be agreed upon. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and bearing in mind the complexity of that, can you tell us about the history of the April third Jeju uprising and the massacre that followed? Um, as you already mentioned, it's a really complicated story to explain in a short interview because it's also because it happened for seven years and seven months. Um, so it's, well, please understand it's quite complicated to explain in details. But as you mentioned, if you want to see the reason of uprising and massacre, we have to go back to the Japanese colonization. But the Korean people were colonized by Japan for 35 years, and we are finally liberated in 1945. And it's obvious that everybody expected a real meaning of independence and also in a unified country because people at the time never imagined that the country is going to be divided into half. But unfortunately, we are not um, liberated by ourselves. We were liberated by the Allied forces at the time. And also, um, that was the beginning of the Cold War. Um, That is why the Korean Peninsula was strategically, geopolitically very important to both sides. And the Soviet Union came to the north, while the U.S. military government came to the south. And I think that was also the beginning of the tragedy. Um, On the 1st of March, 1947, when we talk about the April 3rd, we talk about the armed resistance uprising in 1948. But when we talk about the April 3rd uprising in Mexico, we, we see the starting point as the 1st March, 1947. And that's the day that 30,000 Jeju Islanders gathered together um, and had a big protest. Uh, And the main slogan was, we want to have a unified country, and we don't want to be ruled by the U.S. military government. And and that was the main slogan at the time. And unfortunately, during the protest, there was unexpected shooting, and six people were killed and eight people were injured. And those piled up angers, the people did not actually investigate the situation properly. And I think that led up to the April 3rd uprising a year after. And again, the main slogan was, we want a unified country. We don't want other countries rule our country. And also, eventually, we don't want to have the South Korean-only election. And after that one, the huge crackdown uh, was followed, and that led into the big massacre in this island. And, and of course, this Red Scare, which would have gathered 
a certain level of support from those who are wary of Jeju Islanders taking mm-hmm. the side of North Korea, um, when, mm-hmm. when in fact, as you've described it, we're talking about um, a, a unified Korea stance. Mm-hmm. Um, the Red Scare, I think, when you see the seventh year of um, the, the crackdown, um, the, the Jeju April 3rd uprising, they did not kill people during the whole period. The, actually, there is a high peak massacre period, which is the end of 1948 to the early 1949. And then the second peak time was during the Korean War. And the red scare was actually the frame that the government used to justify crackdown on Jeju Islanders. It's also because it was right after the South Korean government established the, uh, the peak massacre uh, time. And then the South Korean government, the first president, Lee Seung-man, needed to get an approval from the U.N., as South Korea as an independent country. Um, that is why the crackdown was severe, because they wanted to silence this decent at the time. And now we all know that Red Scare or the people, um, there, there was a kind of propaganda that the Jeju Islanders were brainwashed by North Korean regime to make this armed resistance and things like that. We now all know that that was a fabricated news. Now, as far as the situation is concerned with the memory of this and and having a proper view of history we do actually have don't we survivors of the massacre yeah. that, that it's within their living memory can you tell us more about their stories uh, we have a bereaved families association here and the member is 60,000 um, in this island and then we in the rest the those registered as a survivors um, of from the April 3rd uprising massacre. Now we have 114 people. And among them, there are a lot of people who are disabled because of their trauma, a physical and mental trauma uh, from the April 3rd. And also we have 33 people who are registered as former prisoners, meaning that they are survivors. Uh, but at that time during the April 3rd uprising massacre, they were not able to get a proper um, trial and they sent to the mainland prison at the time. So now we have around 114 people. As you can already imagine, they are so traumatized because of their experience in the past. Now they can actually speak up about their experience because now we have a big ceremony today, um, the commemoration um, ceremony today and things like that. But before, they are not even able to speak up about what they experienced in the past. Um, very few people are now now alive. So we believe that this year, the 70th anniversary, will be actually the last, you know, the decennial that we can celebrate and then think, remember those uh, April 3rd um, uprising and massacre with those surviving victims. Um, and when you come to Jeju, please also remember those uh, pain of those survivors uh, from the April 3rd uprising and massacre. It's a, a cause that remains very much alive, but President Moon will be attending the ceremony today. He's yeah. the first South Korean president since late former President Norm Hyun, and he was the yeah. um, obviously the one who broke that ground, and, uh, and under his administration mm-hmm. we saw the mm-hmm. apology for, yeah. for the government's role in the killings. But, but the fact there's been that sort of silent period between, it reflects this liberal versus conservative feature that uh-huh. still exists today. H- how regrettable is that for you? Um, actually, 
actually now I'm at the memorial April 3rd Memorial Peace Park because today we are going to have a big uh, memorial ceremony in this park and I can see a lot of bereaved families are coming up um, coming to this park to remember their uh, families who passed away during the April 3rd uprising massacre um, something to remember those tragic history I believe that that should remain regardless um, what government actually um, have a power in, 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 in the country. And it is very unfortunately to very unfortunate to see those conservative governments in the past try to actually not remember those tragic past. Um, and I think um, now we have a democratic government and then the Moon Jae-in is going to come here and then we hope that this opportunity will make a momentum for the bereaved families of April 3rd to be remembered um, globally as well as domestically um, about their pain in the past, regardless of the government. And that pain is, is so hard to talk about, even even on a, a show like this morning, because of the time of day. I mean, the, the uh, abuse of young girls, for example, when you go into some of the sources, it, it's really horrific. And, and, um, and, you know, we talk about the pain of Japanese colonization. This mm-hmm. is really dark within South Korea's own history. And, and, and you've got this concept of dark tourism. Can you briefly tell us a bit more about Jeju Dark Tour? Oh, it's a, it sounds like a tour agency, but actually it's non-governmental organization. Um, and I'm, I'm a co-founder of the organization. We, uh, we introduced those historical sites of April 3rd Uprising and Massacre to visitors to Jeju. And not only doing that, we also document those um, historical sites. We have around 800 historical sites in Jeju Island relevant to the April 3rd Uprising and Massacre. We also stand in solidarity with other Asian um, state violence victims, which is similar to the April 3rd Uprising in Mexico. What we want to highlight is that it's also important to remember those tragic history by telling them how brutal uh, the human rights violations were and how painful the survivors' um, life is right now. But at the same time, we want to emphasize why Jeju people had to rose against the government at the time. You know, even though the hard crackdown is expected, mm. it's also because they wanted to unify the country. And I think that slogan is still valid um, at, the, at the present. Uh, we also want to connect our um, the, the tour with uh, the peace tour with the DMZ tour as well. Because, because those slogans that Jeju Islanders courageously um, shouted at the time was not able to be reflected um, at that time. That is why we're still living in a divided country. Right. So those kind of things that we want to highlight at the Jeju Dark Tours. Kayun Beck, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.